This morning we're in John 15, chapter, uh, John 15, beginning in verse 18, uh, where Jesus says to his disciples, and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 25 here. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before I hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be filled fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Just for review, we are in a section of scripture um, that records for us the last words of Jesus Christ with his disciples the night before he is going to be crucified. So it's just hours before he's about to be betrayed by Judas and then let out and given a mock trial and then, and then publicly executed in a very vicious way. But the Apostle John was there. He was, he was an eyewitness, and we're reading his gospel right now. And in chapters 13 through 17, he records these last few hours. And just to sum up what he says, he reminds them in chapter 13, as the disciples are gathered in that upper room, and Jesus is saying that I'm going to be leaving you, he reminds them, first of all, in chapter 13, of, of his great love for them, that Jesus loves his disciples. He loves his own, and he reminds them of that. And then in chapter 14, he flows into the promises, and he, and he gives them great and exceeding promises. And, and one of the ones that jumps off the page is the promise that the Holy Spirit will indwell them forever. And so, and that God, the Father and the Son would indwell them, that God would be in them forever. And so that's a beautiful promise. Those are beautiful promises from John 14. And then he flows into John 15 and he says, and so remain in my love, abide in me. And he talks about the relationship between a vine and the branches and, and how a vine can't have fruit apart from being, uh, I'm sorry, branches can't have fruit apart from being in the vine. And he talks about that connection we have in Christ and how we're to, this is where we get our life. And so he says, abide in me. And he, and he calls the disciples and he says, hey, remain in my love just as I have remained in my father's love. And so he then commands them to remain in his love by loving one another. And so it's right on the heels of this this reaffirmation of love and, and the promises and the call to abide and to remain and to love one another that, they, that Jesus quickly switches it and says that the world is going to absolutely hate you. And that is devastating for these disciples as, they are, as their master, their Lord who loves them so much is going to leave. Jesus wants to prepare them to let them know what is coming. What's coming for him in just a few hours is going to be coming for them in the days and years to come. That the world was going to hate them. 
And Jesus, in the passages we just read, in the verses we just read, he gives them three reasons that the world hates the disciples of Jesus Christ. And let me say that if you are serious in your walk with Jesus Christ, not only do you have the promise of his love, not only do you have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit forever and ever, but you also have the promise of suffering. You have the promise of Jesus that you will be rejected by this world in some fashion in, as you follow him. And so the context here is that Jesus is leaving. He's going away. And Jesus prepares his disciples for everything that's about to happen. That they would experience similar hostility that he experienced to varying degrees. And again, Jesus gives three reasons in these verses. Beginning in verse 18, here's the first reason. And by the way, verse 18 and 20 both say the same thing, so I'm going to put them together. Verse 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then verse 20 says, Remember the, world, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep, kept my word, they will also keep yours. And the point is, the first point, the reason why, the first reason why the disciples would be hated is because they first, the world first hated Jesus. Now, real quickly, what does Jesus mean by the term the world? I think that's important. What is Jesus talking about here? The term world is a figure of speech here. It's basically another way of saying the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, which is the sinful, disobedient, rebellious, fallen world and its systems that we all live in. And it's populated with unregenerate people who are in rebellion towards God. And we are influenced, this world is influenced by Satan and his demons. And so that kind of gives the picture of the world that Jesus is talking about, the world that, is, that hates him, the world that hated him first. That is the world, the world that you and I have been born into. And it is in opposition to God and his kingdom. And Satan the most powerful um, of the fallen angels there, um, he rebelled against God, was kicked out of heaven. A third of the angels were, fell with him, and those are the demons. And he is called the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this age, the ruler of this world. He is a fallen angel, and he is the one who is behind this rebellion. He is the one who instigated and started it here, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, where Satan in the garden tempted Eve and deceived her, and then her husband willingly uh, went against the command of God, and therefore he fell in death eventually, and therefore all who are the descendants of Adam uh, have fallen in sin, and as a result is death and judgment, and, and we all follow Adam as his descendants, and so we are all by nature sinners, we're all by nature rebels, we're all by nature fallen and darkened, and under the sway of the wicked one, whether we know it or not. 
And it is in this fallen world, it is this fallen world that Jesus says it hated him first. It's in rebellion towards him. And, and perhaps as I'm saying this right now, you're getting angry and mad because you totally disagree with what I'm saying. And that is the point. That Jesus says that this world hated him first. And when he came into this, this darkness of this world, when Jesus came in, he was the light of the world. He was a great light, 10,000 blazing suns, eternal life incarnate, eternal life walking around, proving that he was the son of God through the miracles he wrought, uh, raising the dead and healing the sick and doing things no one had ever done. He was the light and yet, what do we find? That the world rejected him and crucified him because men love darkness rather than light. Jesus exposed the world's darkness and they rejected him. And his light is the light that the world hates. And so Jesus tells his disciple, if you are my follower, if you are, if I am the light of the world and you are a little light, what do you think uh, is going to happen? They hate you because they hated me first, the true light. And the disciples would see that hatred in full display in just hours as, as religious worldly people. And you can be, and by the way, the world is full of religious people and, and just don't think this is talking about irreligious people. This, Jesus is talking about religious people populate in what he calls the world that hates him. These religious people gathered together, pagan and, and Jew, and they crucified Jesus Christ. The disciples saw the hatred of the world for Jesus culminate in the cross. They saw him they witnessed him being beaten, being mocked, being stripped naked, having his beard pulled out, being hit in the face, having a crown of thorns put upon him and being nailed to a cross. All because of a crowd, a religious crowd screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. The same people that he was healing and ministering to. You see the first reason that Jesus gave them that they would be hated is because they hated him first. And there are so many examples in the New Testament of how that played out, but the ultimate one was in the cross. If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it hated me before it hated you. Secondly, in verse 19, Jesus says the reason that the world would hate them is because they are not of this world. Check it out, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The second reason that the disciples would experience this persecution, would experience this hatred from the world is because Jesus says that I chose you out of the world. You're not a part of the world. That's pretty, it's a pretty comforting and yet uh, scary statement at the same time. It's comforting in that Jesus says, I chose you out of the world, and yet it's kind of scary because they're going to hate you because of it. 
And that is what a believer in Jesus Christ is when you think about it, is one who has been chosen out of this world by Jesus Christ and set apart for his own glory and his own purposes, um, ultimately to the glory of his Father. You know, if you have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have heard that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, that you may have eternal life, and you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit on that, and you know that you are spiritually bankrupt before God, and you have responded in saying, Lord, I believe, save me, and you've turned from your sin and turned towards God in faith, you are called out by Jesus Christ. You have been born again. You've been set apart. You've been conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Amen. And this is what the church, the word church means. I've mentioned to it before. It means the called out ones. That's who we are. We're not a group of people who gather together who like to read the Bible just, to, just for say. We've been called out by Jesus Christ. And that's who the ch true church is. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 uh, puts it like this. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Beautiful picture there. We've been conveyed from one kingdom to the other. We've been called out. And the world hates the disciples of Jesus Christ because they are not of the world as believers. We are not a part of this world. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. That is where our allegiance lies. That is where our home is. That is where our heart is. That is where our treasure is. It's with him. It is not here. And Jesus says, if you were of this world, think about this, it would love you as its own. Now, the word here for love in the Greek is, is not the command uh, that Jesus gave his disciples to love one another. That word is agape. It's a sacrificial love, the love of God. But this word here is phileo. It's a brotherly love, a familial love, a love between a family member. The world has its own kind of love for itself, for its own. And obviously, because... It's a fallen, sinful world. There's, there's hate and people destroy one another. But make no mistake that the world is galvanized when it comes to Christ. They reject him wholeheartedly. This world rejects Jesus Christ without a doubt because we shine the light of Christ. If you shine the light of Christ in the darkness by how you live and what you say, there is going to be a reaction from the darkness. You know, we don't go along with the flow anymore. We don't follow the flow of the world anymore. We have Christ in us. The apostle Peter speaks of this new life that we have, not being a part of the world anymore, of how we are and the world's reaction to it. He says in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, he says, for the time that past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, that's non-believers, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinkings, parties, and lawless idolatry. And he was just kind of given a, a, a list of generalities of, of the way the world works. But he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. 
but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and to judge the dead. I remember coming out of the world and, um, you know, it was a pretty, pretty bad, um, I was deep in the world and doing all the things that worldly people do. And when the Lord brought me out of that, there was a reaction from my friends and different people. And some people, you know, began to say how you got religion and all this kind of stuff would go on. And what was, and what was happening is, is that as I began to withdraw from the things that they were doing, not judging them for it, but realizing that I was, I violated God and my heart was convicted that this was sin and I needed to turn, it began to convict them. And that conviction that caused them to drive them away from me, not closer to me and closer to God, you see. Now, that happens. The world doesn't like the light of Christ. The world rejects those who are Christ's. You know, they might tolerate Christians, true Christians, uh, but make no mistake, it's only as long as we conform to the way that they want to have things run. The world wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ and its government, in its institutions, in in anything, in its systems, nothing. And if they do, it's usually only platitudes. You know, the flat out rejection of anything to do with Jesus Christ is very evident if you have a secular job in, in the United States of America. You start mentioning Jesus or you become that way and you start shining light on darkness and dark issues and things that are sin, boy, you are going to feel the wrath of the world. That is what happens. But you see, true believers in Jesus are, are salt. We're, there's going to be a salt and light effect upon the non-believers around us, between, around the world around us. And, and I'm kind of going back to Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount when he's describing this, where Jesus is describing it. In that salt exposes darkness and light, kind of, uh, it's a purifying effect. And, and so that's the kind of effect that the church has on the world around us. So don't expect the world to love you uh, if you are devoted to following Jesus Christ. Don't expect it. Expect rejection, which begs the question, and this is a question I have to ask myself, am I loved by this world or am I hated or am I rejected by this world? Ask yourself, is there any sense where God has me in which I am a purifying influence, a light in the darkness, or am I loved just like the world loves its own? In other words, do I just fit like a glove with the environment that I'm in, my job and my family, my home? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, and you have to know this, I am not saying that we are to be rebels. We are not rebels. We're not revolutionaries. That is not what we're to do. We're, we're to live at with peace and with all men as best as possible. We're to submit to our governments as we're doing now in this situation to the best where it doesn't violate what God says. We're not to be stirring stuff up and making hard times for our employers and making politics out of everything. We're to be quiet, we're to be about our work, and we're to honor and glorify God. I want to make that, that clear. 
The persecution doesn't come because we're rude and because we're mean and because we disrespect people and because we put down people and we stand for a cause and all that kind of stuff. The persecution comes rather because his light and his life is flowing in us through our words and through our actions. And it is exposing the darkness. It is, it is like salt in the wound of, of, of the world. And the world is irritated and agitated because it realizes it has a wound. And, and instead of trying to get the salt out, it needs to look to the solution, needs to look to the Lord. And that's hopefully what we are as a witness of Jesus Christ, having been those on the outside, having been agitated by the light, having been exposed, having, been, um, having hated those who were, were Christ's now have found the grace of Jesus Christ. And now we are not of this world and we are salt and life, uh, salt and light to the world around us. You see, Christians have been called out by Jesus Christ and by our nature of our relationship to him, we will be hated because we're no longer of this world. And we should rejoice in that fact in the midst of whatever may come, amen? And it's only by his grace we've been brought. So expect rejection, church. You've been called out. And then as we already read real quickly, Jesus again goes back to the first point in verse 20 before moving on to the third reason. I'll read it again. He says, remember the, world that, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, uh, they will also persecute you. If they kept my words, they will also keep yours. Again, expect persecution. Jesus was persecuted first. It's gonna follow uh, to anyone who would follow him. And Jesus says there at the end in verse 20, and this is kind of comforting a little bit, he says that there will be those that keep his word, and if they kept his word, they would keep the disciples' word. They would, they would keep his word. And what Jesus is saying is that, that there will be those who actually listen and keep his word. So in the midst of the persecution, there will be those who actually respond The third reason that the world hates believers in this verse, in verse 21, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come, he says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The third reason that the world hates the disciples of Jesus Christ is because they do not know God. They do not know God. The New Testament paints quite a picture, and I won't go into all the reasons, but it paints a picture of the state of the world and why they do not know God. Ephesians 2 is a great chapter, but it says there that apart from God's rich mercy, basically people are spiritually dead. Saying they're spiritually dead. God is spirit, and we are spiritually dead dead. We're flesh. In other words, just as a dead person lying in a coffin has nothing to do with this world, cannot relate to it, cannot interact with it, can't respond to it, um, anything like that. So the world in its spiritually dead state 
has, does not know God, can't relate to him, can't connect with him in all these things um, in, 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 in this way. And so the world is populated, and this is what the scriptures teach, by spiritually dead people and, and who need God's life, who needs, need God to regenerate them, to give them his life. Romans 8, 7 is another example of why people don't know God. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Um, He's saying that the world does not know God because it's fleshly minded. It's rooted in earthly things. God is spirit. And you can't submit to God's law because you're just, you're not even, you're not even able to because it's a spiritual thing. They can't. Ephesians 4.18, another example, says of the worldly person, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. And we see that at play in the world. But, the, but what Paul is saying there is the world does not know God because they're spiritually, not only spiritually dead, um, but their minds are darkened to the things of God because their hearts are calloused. Their hearts are hardened to the things of God. And it shows that they're hardened towards God by how they live, by how we live. Now, we all grade on a curving scale. We look at someone who's maybe done some really horrible things and we go, oh, you know, they're, they're the worst of the worst. You know, we always take Hitler and we put him on the top and rightfully so, right? But, you know, we look at someone else who just, you know, goes off and does a lie occasionally and all that stuff and we say, oh, they're fine. We grade on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve, right? He says, you're all hard-hearted towards me. You're all broken in one degree or another, all Darkened, And the scriptures go on and on with descriptions of the world that does not know God. And I know I'm painting a, a dark picture here, but this is God's picture of the world. Um, the picture that God paints here, if I could kind of use another illustration, it's like a bunch of people who were born blind who never have had a concept of light. And we can kind of imagine that if, if, if we were all born blind and, and we never had a concept of light, we would never have a discussion about light nor be introduced to it or understand it unless light introduced itself to us somehow. You see, apart from the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the world remains in spiritual darkness. It does not know God. Jesus came so that we would know God. We would know God. And this is why Jesus came, that we would know God, that he would set captives free from our darkness. He would pay the price of our rebellion, of our sin. He would pay the weight. You see, see, the guilty can't pay for the guilty. An innocent has to pay for the guilty. That's how it works with God. And so the innocent, the son of God, came and paid for the guilty. And then he died on the cross, obviously, and, and to give us his eternal life, and he, he rose again from the dead, proving he had power over death, which was the consequence of our sin and the consequence of our rebellion, that he has power over the judgment to give us his life. Jesus came 
that the world, that those lost in the world, possibly you right now, would be conveyed by his grace, you know, through faith in Jesus, from the kingdom of darkness, being in bondage to sin and headed towards judgment and hell and eternal lake of fire into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of forgiveness, the kingdom of the Son, where we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the lords of lords forever and ever in his love. That's why Jesus came to save the lost. But the world, except for a few, Jesus says, still rejects him. They hate him. And it still does. And Jesus tells his disciples in verse 22, after giving them the three reasons why, um, they hate, why the world would hate them, he says that the world is without excuse. Verse 22. He said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. You see, if you hate Jesus, you hate the father, you hate God. If I had not done among them the works that no one else had did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. You see, blindness was there, spiritual darkness, and the light came in and exposed the sin. And Jesus said they would not be guilty if I had not come, but he came and he did things that no one had ever done. As I already mentioned, he raised the dead. He cast out demons. He healed sicknesses no one else could heal. He turned water into wine. He multiplied the loaves and fishes twice for thousands upon thousands of people in other miracles. All these acts, all these miraculous things testified to the fact that he was not of this world, that he came from God, that he came from the Father, and that through him he would offer eternal life to anyone who would turn from their darkness and believe upon him that he paid the price for their sins and rose again to give them his life, and they would be called out And there was no excuse for anyone who saw him working in those days. There was no excuse. But the word, verse 25, that was written in the law must be filled. They hated me without a cause. The very people that Jesus was sent to, the Jews, they rejected their Messiah. They hated him without a cause. They crucified him, most of them. There wasn't a just reason to reject Jesus, the Son of God. And there still isn't today. And if you're still with me and you realize that you are without excuse today, today is the day. Call out to God. Confess your sin to him. Turn from your sin and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that he rose again to give you his life. And you will be forgiven, and you will be born again, and you will be called out instantaneously. 
but many will still reject. And so too the disciples and all those true believers in Jesus Christ who love and obey him should expect nothing less than what Jesus experienced to some degree, some form of rejection in your life as you follow him faithfully. Some it's gonna be hard and some it's gonna be light, but nevertheless, we are not of this world. It's to be expected. And in spite of the rejection, in spite of the rejection of this world that would come upon Jesus and will come upon us and has come upon believers throughout the ages, the Lord decided in his wisdom that he would continue to use the church to be the messenger of the gospel. And they would definitely be rejected as well. And he would do it by filling them with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. But when the helper comes, he brings them back to the promise. I'm leaving you. You're going to be rejected, but you're going to have a helper. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who will proceed from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And in just over 50 days from the crucifixion, which would be the next morning, it'd be 50 days from them at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come upon the disciples gathered in the upper room in, in Jerusalem and it would be a great display of God's power as thunder and tongues of fire would come down upon those believers in that upper room. And the effect of the Spirit upon those disciples is that they became witnesses of Jesus Christ. And the case in point is Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times and now he stands up and begins to preach at Pentecost and and he begins to declare boldly in front of the same people that he was ashamed to proclaim Christ of before, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thousands came and repented and believed that day. And so the effect of the Spirit upon those disciples is that they became witnesses starting in Jerusalem, but then to the uttermost parts of the world. And here we are in Walla Walla as an effect of their witness They had been with Jesus from the beginning. He said, you too will be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. They had seen his life, his ministry, the miracles. They had witnessed it. He called them for that purpose, to be apostles, the ones who were sent to be witnesses. They saw his crucifixion. They saw his resurrection. They saw him raised from the dead. And they were witnesses, along with 500 others, But it was through their testimony, through their teachings, through their letters, empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we now have the scriptures that are in your hands this morning. 
And they too, just as Jesus, those apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered, and their message was ratified with miracles and signs and wonders. Just as Jesus did. And their message went out into the darkness and it pierced the Gentile world and it has come through the ages to us. And so as we close our time out this morning, our time together this morning, we're reminded that we have a bond with Jesus. We are bonded to his life and we are bonded in his death, but we are also bonded in his suffering. In his suffering, he promises, he says, you will suffer. He said, don't be afraid in John 16, but I have overcome the world. We are bonded in his suffering because we are called out. We're not of this world. It's because we know God. You know God. And because of that, we too will be hated just as the apostles were hated, just as Jesus was hated, just as countless brothers and sisters throughout the ages have been hated, some to the greatest degree where they lost their lives. And so this morning in in the first, it's the first Sunday of the month and obviously we can't be together in one room, but we can be together in spirit and we often, we, we share communion together on Sunday morning, uh, the first of the month. And so as a fellowship of believers, we're going to go ahead and share in communion this morning. And so if you have your bread and your juice, uh, please get it now. And we know that this is a picture of the suffering of Christ. It's also It's a picture on the one hand of the hatred of the world that put him there, but it's also a picture on the other hand of the love of God that put him there. And so we have the wafer, the bread, and Jesus said it was his body, it's a picture of his body broken for us, that he was broken, he suffered for us. And then we have a we have a picture of the, the blood of Christ in the cup. And Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Without the shedding of blood, there is no taking away of our sin. It's by his stripes we're healed. And it's by his blood that we have been cleansed of our sin by faith in his sacrifice. And so together as a church, although we'd be distant, let's take a moment together and have this this bread in this cup together. Let's do that. And let me close with a word of prayer. Father, as we look at the suffering of your son, as we look at the precious sacrifice that he made for us, Lord, help us to not be overwhelmed 
when that day comes where we experience the fierce displeasure of the world. But may we fall back upon your, your son's words. Blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when people say all kinds of things against us for his name's sake, Lord, we have the promise that we have a reward with you and that we should re rejoice. And so, Lord, these are light and momentary afflictions. And I pray as the world gets darker, as America gets darker, as it reveals its depravity further and further, I pray that our love for you would not diminish but would increase and our love for each other would increase and would burn fervently and that we would be unwavering in our devotion to you and be willing to suffer in this age knowing that you already went before us, Lord, and you've overcome. And so, Lord, we just join together with you in faith and say whatever may come, Lord Jesus, we follow you. Lord, help us to be gracious people. And we do pray for peace. We do pray for our families to be safe. We do pray for these things. But most of all, we pray for your glory and your name to go forward in all circumstances and that the world would see you alive in us. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.